podcast to find them, one podcast to bring them all, and in the podcast, podcast them. Welcome to the State of the Franchise. My name is Fred Dagan. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Stadler. Tom, how you feeling? Tom is never late. He arrives exactly when he means to, Fred. <laughs> you shall not podcast. <laughs> how, how often are we going to keep doing this? So just keep going? The whole episode. I hope so. I feel like this is one of those episodes where we really can just kind of keep going with it, right? Mm-hmm. This is what some may refer to as the trilogy. Oh. Which some may not. You know, are we talking Star Wars? Are we talking... The Alvin and the Chipmunks movie? I think there's three of those. Well, are we talking or are we talking? Oh, you talking to me? Yeah. (laughs) So if you guys have not guessed this week, our episode is on the franchise of Lord of the Rings, which, of course, is the installments Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. Yes, and we're not talking about Elvis. We are talking about (laughs) (laughs) the Peter Jackson versions, of course. We may touch on other versions in future episodes. I know I'm just dying to bring Tom to my place, light up the blacklight posters, you know, cool down the lights, light some candles, (laughs) get some of the finest weed in the South Barley, whatever they do in Hobbiton. And check out the animated version, because that might be my favorite, but nothing resonates with me more than this trilogy. Wow. So this is like your top of the top when it comes to franchises, would you say? I think just the trilogy, like it's hard to encompass the whole franchise. And I think we're going to get into the pros and cons of what happens later a little bit. I don't, you know, maybe one day we'll do (laughs) the Hobbit trilogy episodes. Yeah. I would be, well, a little more hesitant to that just because I felt like that shouldn't have been a trilogy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, how much do you need to put into The Hobbit? Just make The Hobbit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel you could do a two-parter maybe, mm-hmm. but still, three was too much. Yeah, I think it was just a smidge too much. So where did you get started then, Fred, when it comes to Lord of the Rings? When did you first experience it? It was in the household. My uh, dad, I would say, is probably the quintessential Lord of the Rings fan, and so is my uh, brother Scott, who you met at my wedding. He, oh, yeah. He's an English teacher, and he is definitely like a fan of literature with a capital L, and that's how <laughs> my dad was, too. I, I get it a little bit, but not as much as them. Like I remember my earliest memory of Lord of the Rings is... Going to swim practice with my dad, and he had the cassettes of the live, like the dramatic reading where oh, it had wow. like the actors. I think Ian Holm from the movies plays Frodo oh. in the voiceover, or not the voiceover, the like, what is it called when they like do the live reading? Um, I mean, just voice actor? A, I don't know. Like, like the dramatic version where oh. it's got the sound effects and like people are played by individual actors. I mean, like a radio play? Yes, it was okay. the radio play. Got it. Okay. I couldn't think of radio play for some reason. <laughs> and this is kind of like a radio play. Yeah. And I mean, this is our radio play that we do every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, which we might be getting off schedule at some point for some special holidays, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, uh, and I'll just add on, too. I, I would, on a sad note, my dad did not get to see these movies. Oh, he died man. a year before The Fellowship of the Ring came out, oh. and he was following the news, and he was very excited about, like, I remember walking in the mall and him explaining forced perspective to me and yeah. not caring, which to me just sounds like me like talking to my like that's like my future. Yeah. And he's like, you don't understand. You'll have like Arnold Schwarzenegger and he can be the size of your thumb. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of the one thing that still trips me up when I watch the movies is um, I can't understand how and I went to film school and I still don't understand forced perspective of like. How does, like, Elijah Wood look so close to the camera, but yet he is so far away from, like, where uh, uh, Ian McKellen is standing? Well, the short answer is old school movie magic, something you don't see in movies these days, which is why I argue this is some of the best, like, franchise stuff you're going to see, because I think this was, like, the last vestige of a kind of a combo practical CG movie. Like nowadays, if someone's being practical with their effects, it's like a smaller movie and they're making a big deal about it. Right. Like this was like the last time I feel like, I mean, Jurassic Park, I guess is the bigger one. Cause that was, you know, Stan Winston saying that he was extinct by looking at the CG. But yeah, I feel this movie is like the last of the movie movies of this broad scope before it all looked kind of marvelly. Yeah, but it was all like eight years before that even happened, though, too. So it's like, and I think maybe it was the long legs of the production that obviously made it, you know, still kind of have to use the practical effects and some of the practical usage, especially, too, in a time when it was still kind of pre-digital everything. I think the fact that it did kind of have to be the last of that thing, and it's almost like it kind of ushered in the era of the the CGI. Well, I guess that's more Lucas, though, we can thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> With the prequels, then... Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> hope you enjoyed Jar Jar for 20 years looking terrible. <laughs> well, what about you, Tom? What's your earliest memories of the Lord of the Rings? So, I literally didn't know what Lord of the Rings was before I saw the first movie. Oh, wow. And even then, it was a friend of mine who went and saw it and then was like, you need to come see this movie again with me. Like, he's like, it's so good. Like this, like this huge epic journey. Like I saw like all the promotions and stuff. Like I think McDonald's or somebody might've had like the glasses that had like the characters on it. And it, I just remember kind of being like, it was very close to high school at that time. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Lord of the Rings. I think it was even at the end of middle school. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but you know, I'm always down for a good fantasy adventure. Like I'll, I'll watch whatever. So I went and saw it and I loved it. I was like, Whoa, this is amazing. Like I can't believe they put this story on screen. And I just remember trying to get right away into the books and (laughs) (laughs) I'll get into this a little bit later. I, I have some issues with Mr. Tolkien himself as far as being a writer. I think he's a phenomenal storyteller who can build a world like nobody else could. But as far as like some of his actual writing, I am like, my guy, I have been listening to you talk about this grass patch for three pages can we move on please and it's something that people ding stephen king with but at Mm -hmm. least stephen king like is flowerly and interesting he may be talking about not a patch of grass but i think in the shining there's like a part where he's just 
looking at the carpet and he's talking about how it looks like it's moving and he's working yeah. into the transformation of the main character and he's like you know of course he wrote that high as hell or drunk as fuck but yeah. it's good and i do agree when you read tolkien it's like kind of a list sometimes it is a little bit where he goes down and captures every detail which listen is like if you're trying to paint a scene, oh, yeah, I've got it. But I had it about a page ago when you were talking about Aragorn, you know, feeling the, the grass blaze between his fingertips and he could still smell the orc sweat or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh, okay, yep, I got gotcha. you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I went and saw the other movies and, I, you know, I enjoyed them. I started playing the video games, too. So, really, it was probably when I was about 13, 14 that I jumped into this feet first and not knowing until later on that Lord of the Rings has been a thing for a long time from mm -hmm. people who watch the books. I know you have your beloved animated movies that you've been talking about, you know, and you talked about the radio plays and it's just like, I didn't know that that was a world though, too. I was very much, as we've talked about a Star Wars kid, I was very into the space. So. Yeah. And at that time I was very into like anime, like for the first time I was watching a lot of that. So I was still kind of getting out of my my animated show phase before I was like, oh, there's like movies, movies, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, it was a thing where when I saw it in theaters, the first movie, I knew the plot because of mm -hmm. A, seeing the animated movies. Because the one in the middle, the Fellowship of the Ring slash Who Towers, is about as book-specific as the movies are wow. the, the new movies like it is legit and then of course you have the bookends which are a little more hippie-ish and kind of like you know more like you'd see at a spencer's gift but i went in and i brought my friend to the movie and i remember just like whispering and telling him like oh that's you know that's hair <laughs> like i was that annoying kid and it was actually kind of cool it was one of the experiences where i felt you know, I felt smart going in because I knew you know, I had read the book, which I don't even think I had at that time. I just sort of absorbed it. It's like how we talked about just knowing that Darth Vader was Luke's dad. Right. Wow. I just can't imagine that experience. So when you went in there as somebody who had experienced the books and all these other versions of it before you saw the movie, did you feel like those are still better than the movie or did you suddenly jump on the movie train because you're like somebody made this like pitch perfect basically well i i guess it's kind of hard for me because i will say as time goes on i think the fellowship of the ring the first peter jackson movie i think that thing hums i think that thing slaps i think it's one of the best kind of opening of a trilogies it really sets the stage it like it's a long movie but it moves mm -hmm. and then i think the other two are really good movies <laughs> like that's how i feel about them i think one is just like and i think it's probably just the story getting so big and you know it's like kind of becomes like the game of thrones thing where we're flashing back between all these different story points and yeah there was something about the kinetic energy of that first one. We're following Frodo and going through this journey. Yeah. So I guess that first one is kind of the definitive. But then, like, yeah, I'm like, I can kind of take or leave the second and the third. More the third, really. Yeah. The second, I think that one's got the, like, Helm's Deep and all that. Yeah. But, yeah, I think they just get a little too bloated. And then you add the extended editions, which... I do enjoy watching from time to time. I feel as an adult, I don't have the time to watch them like I yeah. used to. That used to be a thing I did. But at the end of the day, my favorite version is the theatrical Fellowship of the Ring version. Yeah. 
Which is, I mean, I think the version that probably got a lot of people to even fall in love with it who didn't have all that background that you had coming mm-hmm. into it. I mean, certainly... I can remember being in the theater where I sat like that. I always kind of measure how good a movie is by remembering where I was in the theater. Like I remember seeing Avengers for the first time. Like I can remember the spot I was. I remember the angle I was watching the movie at and just being like blown away. Or when I saw like Lord of the Rings or even now the whole franchise is not aged that great. But Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) I was like, wow. I mean, that was a hell of a run in those few years where everybody was decided to do trilogies. But nobody was doing it like Lord of the Rings. And I agree. I think the extended editions, when you watch them, you're like, okay, if I wanted to rewatch all this, that's 13 hours I have to devote to <laughs> three movies. And it's just, it's it's interesting now, and I mean, we'll probably get into this later, that you have a show like Rings of Power that really is very okay with taking its time because it knows that it has, you know, probably like 30, 40 hours, way more probably, but a story to tell and they can just kind of go, all right, well, we're going to take some time to introduce, uh, you know, uh, Galadriel again, Galadriel, Galadriel, Galadriel. I'm like, that's not how you say her name, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, Galadriel, we're going to like reintroduce her, like talk about like what, what she was doing 3000 years or whatever it was before all the events of Lord of the Rings. And it's just like, you kind of wonder like, man, how, could anyone get away with making movies this long anymore? Like this is almost like a, a time capsule in itself too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, this is like I was talking about before. This is like encapsulation before like big budget movies kind of got samey. Yeah. Like this movie, like I also do remember the first teaser coming out and it was very light on fantasy and thinking that it might be a boring adult movie. <laughs> and then I think when I, cause I even remember going in with like hesitation, thinking like, because I think you know at that age, you're like, am I going to like this? This might be a little too grown up. But I remember it just humming. Like, that opening is pretty great. Yeah. They toss you in and they let you just absolutely float. Like, you are just on this, like, water ride from the start. And it's just such an interesting choice. Like, they're like, we're going to devote 10 minutes to, like, backstory before we even get you going on this story and all written like for the movie i'm pretty sure like that's not i don't think how the books are i think that's something that they cobbled together mm-hmm. and we're like we need to like do a previously on <laughs> right from the similarian right or yeah yeah and which i'm we're learning all about right now in this rings of power show we'll have to talk a little more have you watched any I, I have not i'm in the middle of a move and it's like all these big shows yeah. i'm just saving for my new place okay you know although like i told you i did start watching Dahmer this morning but that was just kind of like it was when netflix like starts playing something yeah and you know, i was just like eh. yeah okay throw it <laughs> on the background it's kind of like that leonardo caprio meme where you're like pointing at the screen like i know that but it's kind <laughs> of horrible like yeah. they just say kenosha <laughs> <laughs> milwaukee man i mean that's where we're based on <laughs> it's on marquette's campus oh gosh <laughs> but lest we get too far into milwaukee let's let's talk a lot about middle earth today uh and let's start from where it began so uh a little history and background on lord of the rings is that english author J.R.R. tolkien tolkien uh created this story back in 1937 is when the first one was dropped um, and they released the books so his publishers between 1937 and 1949 so this guy put out three of like the biggest 
world building books, including, and he also wanted to include the Silmarillion in that between a 12 year span. So, you know, eat your heart out, George R. R. Martin, because <laughs> clearly you got somebody who. Uh, <laughs> and the only big di- the big difference between Tolkien and J- George R. R. Martin, Tolkien's been to war, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Martin's been to New York Comic Con. That's as close to war as you're gonna get. Man, what would Tolkien think of like Comic Cons now? Do you think he would even be like this? Is this shouldn't be a thing? I don't want to think about what Tolkien thinks, just because like. I like Lord of the Rings, but he seems like if a dude like you brought him back to life today, he would not be happy. Yeah. He would be like, oh, they've got my show on TV. Oh, what are all these people doing here that are black? I don't like it. <laughs> I have a feeling he would not be. He would be kind of like on the opposite side of that. I yeah. just get the vibe. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he maybe not as bad as like Lovecraft, but no. like. <laughs> Still seems like he'd be a crotchety old man. Who oh, would just for be sure. Like, what are these children doing? Uh, so Tolkien was commissioned to do a sequel to The Hobbit right after the success of The Hobbit and decided to make this thing about a thousand times longer than The Hobbit was. <laughs> and going from a legit, like a children's book to like an adult fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, you think about, and I've actually never read The Hobbit, so I'm going off of what I know from reading about The Hobbit and seeing the extremely long movies. I'm not going to lie, I'm like the length of everything, but it's like, you can't talk about this story without talking about how very long it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, I mean, you go from having The Hobbit, which was pretty tight, you know, you could probably read it in, what, a couple days, maybe less? Less. You could read it in a day at the beach. Yeah. Where now it's like you have The Lord of the Rings. If you want to get through the whole trilogy, you probably need at least a week or two if you're going to be reading nonstop. It's like going from, like, Beverly Cleary to, like, Marriage Story or something (laughs) like that. It's the weirdest thing. Now I'm imagining Ramona Quimby like in Marriage Story. Just banging the wall. (laughs) Beezus cannot live here. (laughs) Being alive. (laughs) So Tolkien then, Tolkien was 63 years old when he finally saw the series finished. So he finished writing it in 1949. The last edition was published in 1955. So he was already looking at those AARP checks by the time he was <laughs> seeing his books out. Do uh, they have that in England? Uh, it might be like the AA uh, Cheerio. Cheerios. <laughs> I don't know. You think we'd have more jokes with like the Queen's recent passing, but I just got nothing. You can't shit on England right now, can you? Did she pass? <laughs> Oh, that's the conspiracy we'll all get into. I don't know. I was watching this spider wedding, and then this old lady got involved in it. (laughs) You didn't see that there was a spider on the casket? No, I didn't. That was my dumb joke. I was watching a spider funeral, and there was an old lady there, and not... It was not the. It was the other way around. Okay, I'm the sorry. Spider crashed it. I, I get it now. It's funny. It's super good. <laughs> you, I'm sorry you had to explain the joke. <laughs> Tolkien did not intentionally uh, want to make a sequel to The Hobbit. He wanted to just write other children's tales. And as he was starting to write, and his publishers were asking for more stories about hobbits and goblins, he suddenly kind of found himself coming up with all these 
stories that started to feel like a spiritual sequel to The Hobbit and decided to start writing all of that. So he started to outline the history of Arda and telling the tales of the Silmarils and all of that kind of became the background for what we would now know as the Lord of the Rings and more specifically the timing of Lord of the Rings, the third age. So he died before he could put together all of his work cohesively, but his son edited his father's work, filled in the gaps and finally published in 1977, the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Let's paint the picture of 1977. You got Led Zeppelin on the radio, <laughs> and they're reading these books, man. And they're like, I'm seeing connections here. We're going to write a song about this, man. I just think that's an interesting thing, just like the Tolkien work being adapted by like hippie drug culture. Well, I think the funny thing is, too, so I probably started listening to Led Zeppelin in high school, but... Knowing still that Lord of the Rings was a thing, I didn't make any connections when I started listening to Ramble On. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's saying in the darkest depths of Mordor? <laughs> yeah, and he talks about Gollum, right? Doesn't he? Like- and Gollum! <laughs> the evil world! <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because like, that culture adapting books that are like a, uh, what's the word? A metaphor? Metaphor for like the worst world war. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think it's kind of interesting. Like, yeah, we like how like the hobbits smoke pipe weed and such. <laughs> <laughs> but you think about it, too. And then it like defined what the 60s were and then the 70s. And then we suddenly became very straight laced in Reagan era in the 80s. I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of like, yeah, it really did have undertones throughout society up until, yeah, that like kind of like 80s roll around and everything became sort of like, I don't even know how to describe the 80s. I always kind of feel like they're like styrofoam. Does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I usually describe the 80s as cocaine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we kind of talked about this on our last episode, too, right? That Macho Man came up through there. Let me tell you about J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> I, had a, I had a couple pipes back in my day, yeah. <laughs> I would have loved it if he was in Lord of the Rings. I feel like that would be kind of like a Peter Jackson move. Like, right. Uh, Akas Ran- Macho Man Randy Savage as an orc. <laughs> I thought he had the build and the intensity. He honestly freaking would, though. Imagine him just as like, yeah, like the orc that ends up sniping uh, Boromir at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that big, yeah, that was exactly what I was picturing. Yeah, like that big, like, what do they call him, the Urukai? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, oh my God, that would have been awesome. I'm almost kind of surprised that there weren't more like wrestlers, but he was just casting all of New Zealand in those movies, mm-hmm. so. I'm pretty sure, um... Yeah. I think Tamara Morrison might be somewhere in there. I think you might be right. Yeah, I think Tamara Morrison. I know Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords is in there. Yeah, he's like a elf, and he looks kind of unrecognizable, but once you know, you know. Right. And I know they did get uh, Stephen Colbert in the newer ones. Like mm-hmm. the- he's in The Hobbits, and I know they got Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Which, my wife is the biggest Ed Sheeran fan. When that happened, I just looked at her. I was like... Very controversial. I know. Everybody (laughs) brings it up. It's just like, guys, it it just, it happened. Just let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Tamir Morrison was not in uh, Lord of the Rings because he was too busy doing the Star Wars prequels. Uh, He could have done it all, though. (laughs) Because weren't they filmed in New Zealand a little bit? I Um, thought so. I think most of that was London. I mean, like, Star Wars is famously... 
filmed in like London a lot, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, he was too busy doing his uh, yeah, his all the clone troopers in those movies. I'm pretty sure he's in the pianist though, not the pianist, no, the piano. Yeah, I think right. he's in the piano as a as a tribesman. Not seeing it. Tomorrow Morrison's gonna come beat the shit out of me. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I wish I was in all these movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Cliff Curtis is in the piano, though. You don't have to look that up. So it's Sam Neill, right? Yeah, Sam Neill. Yeah, we'll talk a little more about Sam Neill coming up in a few weeks. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so back to Middle Earth for a little more jaunt through history. Uh, and not the history of Middle Earth, because if we try to get into all that, this would be a three-hour episode, if not more. <laughs> so, I'm sure there's podcasts dedicated to all of it. Yeah, I mean, there's probably something out there that yeah gets down to like every little thing, and that's how we came up with Bilbo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so really, that's kind of how it all came together, though. At the end, so we got the Silmarillion in 1977. And so that kind of completed the whole works, even though it was really just like that catalog, right? And, um, you know, there is so many different influences throughout his life. You know, you talk about World War II was such a huge influence on the stories and his time serving. And I think it just kind of came together is what it's saying from like all these different like short stories he was writing that he started to come up with this idea of the One Ring. And now we're all ruled by the One Ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you guys want more history, please look up the Wikipedia article. There is so much information. <laughs> or just watch that movie, Tolkien. I'm sure they they are. it's full of information. <laughs> Did you watch Tolkien? I didn't watch Tolkien. I didn't watch it. I was actually thinking about this before I started doing research for this episode, but there are so few times I've rewatched these movies because they are such an exercise in... How much can I take before I finally collapse? Like, I don't know that I've made it through Fellowship of the Ring an entire time since I've seen it in theaters. Yeah, I feel what happens to me is I'll put on Fellowship of the Ring at night and then I'll doze off towards like the 45 minute mark. And then when it gets to um, the elves place, Lothlorien, I think that's the second elf place, but the first elf place where the Council of Elrond it does this flash of like bright white. Yeah. And I just know that has wake, woken me up so many times in a dark room because it literally just goes bright white. Yeah. And then it zooms into like Frodo's face. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I've seen the rest of the series or the, the entire movies all together in parts. Like, you know, if you had TNT or TBS, they would always be on like off and on if you had cable. It's kind of a weird Christmas movie. I feel it's always on around Christmas. Yeah. And if I'm like visiting family, I like to throw that on. Yeah. It's oh, a great one. It's like a perfect background movie, too. Like, mm-hmm. you can just kind of have it on, converse, watch a little bit. Like, oh, yep, yep. Gandalf's fighting the Balrog here. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, I really like um, Skyfall. But generally, if I have Skyfall on, it's in the background. <laughs> and I feel like that's the move with Lord of the Rings. Like, I'm going to throw this on and go do something else <laughs> with it in the background. It's just wonderful, though. Because it's just like, I don't know. The Bond movies are also like perfect background movies. Like, you think about all these movies are well constructed. The first time you watch them, they're like, they'll blow you away. And I think all these are delight to rewatch, but it's just sort of like. To watch them with the same intensity and dedication that you did the first time around. It's just a lot to ask. It's not like watching, yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like Star Wars 
kind of turned into a background movie, but even when it's on, I feel like I want to watch it. Well, Empire is the one that I can just like really snap into and I feel like Empire, I'm not one of those like Empire is my favorite, it's the best one. I kind of like them all, but I just feel that one just has so many great story beats and I'm like, "Oh, I have to watch this part." You know? <laughs> that's actually yeah, I would definitely say that's almost kind of how a lot of these classic franchises are constructed, especially Lord of the Rings. It's like there are pieces and there's scenes. Like, I don't know. I love watching the Council of Rivendell. I like them just kind of debating, mm-hmm. like, no, like, I should take it. And then they're like, what? This little dude? All right. <laughs> well, like I said, you'll you'll get no qualms with me on one. It's two and three that I think are very much like, I like to watch the parts and I'll not pay attention. Which ending in Return of the King is your favorite part to watch? <laughs> uh, When Frodo's like, I think I'm just going to die early, too. <laughs> screw it i know i'm not quite of age but i think i lived enough yeah we'll have to talk about that a little bit as we start getting into the highlights here coming up i did want to give a little background about the movie development too because it really was a long way to get it adapted so while i'm not going to go through the whole entire book history we wanted to give you just enough to sort of understand you know where tolkien came from and how that all came to be there were efforts by a lot of people to try and adapt Tolkien. We had George Lucas, Stanley Kubrick, Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. Kubrick was going to have um, the Beatles as the Hobbits. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That was the original plan was Stanley Kubrick directed with, um, yeah, the Beatles. I think probably Paul and George as Sam and... Whoever, I guess he'd want Ringo as Sam, though, to be honest. Right? He does have Sam energy. Big Sam energy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, Dennis O'Dell is the guy's name, who considered Richard Lester, but then also thought about getting Kubrick, Michael Antoni, and then George Lucas. I was just going to say a 70s Borman would have been baller, because that's like a Scalibur guy. Like That would have been yeah. like... The Led Zeppelin-y, glossy one, which I wish that movie existed because I think we could, we would still have the Peter Jackson ones. Right. Well, yeah, just to give us like almost like the first iteration of it, it's almost kind of impressive that Peter Jackson's production was like the first one out of the gate. Because, yeah, then um, it was briefly leased to Rembrandt Films before it was sold to United Artists, who later got acquired by New Line Cinema. But, yeah, so in 1976, you way past the rights... Uh, to Fantasy Films, who then produced your animated adaptation in 1977 of The Hobbit Mm -hmm. uh, by Rankin and Bass. Who, if you're not familiar with that name, someone we may cover one holiday is uh, Rankin and Bass. They make all those, uh, like the Rudolph commercial, or not commercial, the Rudolph movie, uh, Year Without a Santa Claus. It's like American-made cartoons where they shipped all the animation overseas. Yeah, right. And they have like the kind of the weird claymation. I mean, everybody's watched these movies, or they have seen iterations of these movies in some form or another. So then in 1978, Ralph Bakshi, my guy, made an animated feature of the first half of Lord of the Rings and while profitable, the film did not make enough money to automatically warrant a sequel. And uh, yeah, that led to him to abandon the project. (laughs) And then Rankin Bass followed in 1980 with an animated TV adaptation of Return of the King. And then a lot of other fantasy films were produced at the time, including... Jim Henson and Frank Oz's The Dark Crystal. Dance, magic, dance. Oh, wrong movie. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And Lucas's Willow. (laughs) Which I saw for the first time this year. 
pretty, How'd you like pretty it? good. Yeah, I'm actually somewhat excited for the the sequel series. Mm-hmm. I would say it was the I've never been a Val Kilmer big Val Kilmer fan. I always liked him. That was the role I was like, this might be my favorite Val Kilmer performance. <laughs> He's like having a good time. It's like, yeah, it's almost a shame because it seems like it's a project that he would easily come back to and just be like, I'm in. Like, let me do what I can do. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, obviously with his issues with uh, the throat cancer that he's had, like not going to be possible because it's just it really is like a very different Val Kilmer role that I don't know. It's just a good one. That I'm glad we have that one. And I'm not I'm not picking picking at the ill at this. I just actually think this would be great that if in the new will they do a cut to a tapestry mm-hmm. just like i haven't seen top gun maverick but i know isn't that like the vibe there's like a nice military photo of val kilmer yeah at one point and he looks great considering i think they should just do that in the will like oh mad mark and they just kind of it's like a tapestry <laughs> painting <laughs> we have uh actually a scene with val kilmer in maverick <gasps> Yeah, it was kind of, I think it was a little bit of a surprise for people because they didn't think he would do it. But uh, yeah, there's a whole thing. I mean, you guys should go see Top Gun Maverick or find a way to watch it. It's fantastic. But yeah, they had him in there. He's talking, but he can't actually like use his voice. So they computer reimagined his voice in order to fill in his lines. It's really crazy. And I don't want to know. I just want to see it when I see it. I was going to ask if it works. I'm not even going to look at you. Like, no, even though. No, actually, I think it works because he talks in a hoarse voice because they, they build it into the story so that it's like, it, it sounds like, I mean, the computer like animated just him even like struggling to talk in order to get him some lines in the movie. He couldn't stop clanking his teeth together and it just affected his mouth. I don't know. They were just trying to, I'm trying to, you know, retcon stuff. I remember from the first one into the second one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. He's such a Chad in that one. <laughs> Before we go back to Lord of the Rings, like does that teeth click thing just set you on edge when he does that? Cause it gets me. I mean, it's always kind of like unnerved me just slightly, but I don't mm. even know if I realize why it unnerved me. <laughs> I just think about doing it. And I'm yeah. just like, oh. But in the Willow sequel, we are going to get Christian Slater now instead. Who I feel like is like, if you can't get Val Kilmer, <laughs> Slater's a good hey, man. <laughs> Here you need me in a fantasy picture. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> I love Christian Slater so much there's a, as an actor. <laughs> there, there's potentially an opening where we could have to do some kind of like Heather's type thing. I don't know. I just want to <laughs> talk about that movie for some reason. I want to talk about Interview with a Vampire and Pump Up the volume so maybe we can just do a slater <laughs> have you seen pump up the volume no but oh. i've seen an interview with the vampire and that's that's enough <laughs> so 1995 peter jackson makes his pitch to miramax so he's completing uh post-production on the frighteners mm-hmm. it's an alright movie yeah it's it's great ideas but it doesn't really work as a movie and i think he's got a lot of clout because he's been this kind of gross horror movie director from new zealand but he made Heavenly Creatures, which was gaining a lot of good press, which is Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky from uh, Yellow Jackets Mm -hmm. and Two and a Half Men. (laughs) I just love she made that money. But uh, it's like, I believe, like a a lesbian thriller with those two in it. And it was like 90 or 89. And that was his... That was his, like, guarantor to get The Lord of the Rings. Like, that was the movie they were watching. Wow. That's really crazy. Because, yeah, they went to... uh, Harvey Weinstein to <laughs> to talk him into it. So Miramax got involved. 
And Ooh. Bob Shea from New Line, too, at some point, right? Bob Shea, who was instrumental in making the um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yes. So, yeah, it was Harvey Weinstein on behalf of Miramax, who got the rights from Saul Zentz. And uh, Jackson knew it would do a, take a couple, couple of movies to get it right. You know, couldn't do it all in one. Because <laughs> they wanted one, and this is what they wanted at the time. This was like the thing. They want one big movie. They even wanted that for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Just like, give us one big movie with all of it in it. It's like, uh, yeah, how long do you want this movie to be? Like, <laughs> but also, it's funny, like, that's not what it is now. They're like, can we get, like, three TV shows and five movies and some spinoffs off of this project? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, even, like, the Batman, they're like, can we get just a Penguin show? <laughs> 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 Which, listen, I'll watch it because I love Colin Farrell in that role. But. Can we get a chopped Gotham edition? <laughs> chopped Gotham. I'm just imagining what, what the spinoffs will be. We have to do this where I could have, would have, should have for Lord of the rings but um it's like <laughs> yeah cooking with gandalf <laughs> <laughs> a wizard's recipe is always on time <laughs> make sure to set your egg timer <laughs> this is the worst ian mckellen <laughs> i've ever done <laughs> i can only do ian Mc- like marble mouth yelling me and mckellen which is like <laughs> 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 so, like, you can do that's an easy easy way to end <laughs> right yeah it's like the, the michael Caine thing you just say my cocaine, but you say it in his accent. And so it's my cocaine. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So Jackson uh, was going to do The Hobbit. So that was going to be originally um, doing The Hobbit and then two Lord of the Rings films shot back to back. That was the pitch. But. Uh, he, the Hobbit was postponed for a later prequel. They decided we'll come back to it later. So they pitched the three films ideas to Miramax, but they didn't really want to take that risk. So they agreed on two. That's when your boy, Bob Shea gets Bobby involved. Shea. <laughs> so Robert Shea, uh, eventually got pitched the project and he wanted to get somebody legit. So Harvey Weinstein was threatening to replace Jackson um, and his screenwriter with like Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> which like is the funniest thing because it, I guess the scripts were just kind of like not working for Weinstein. So he wanted to cut it down to one film. And so he's like, I'm going to get Tarantino, which is thinking about <laughs> Quentin Tarantino doing Lord of the Rings. It's just the funniest <laughs> thing. I would love it. Like, I know it's because we live in a world where we have good three, like we have three good Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. But I mean, I'm always into like seeing the Quentin Tarantino version of anything. Cause I'm like, well, that's not the real one. That's just the, the QT version. But yeah. I just like, and the Hobbits, man, you know, they're there, but they're, they're shorter, man. <laughs> Which is weird. Cause Vigo, <laughs> Vigo would fit right oh. in with that movie too. He would just be doing a totally different Aragorn. <laughs> they need, Vigo needs to be in a Tarantino movie. I'm surprised he's not. Like, how did he miss out? Well, you know why? Because he's still hanging out with, um, oh, what's body horror guy? What am I thinking of? Body horror guy. Who's Vigo hanging out with? The Fly. Oh, um, Cronenberg. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Body horror guy. It was more of the, like, gestures you were doing. Well, I'm just thinking about, like, yeah, like, Videodrome and, like, I don't know. (laughs) Everything's attached to metal. It's just sort of weird. (laughs) But um, Final Cut rights were shared contractually between Peter Jackson and Robert Shea when they brought Robert Shea on board to help finance the rest of the movie. So basically then... Jackson got his way. We got three movies. 
Bing Bang Boom 2001 Cannes Film Festival Fellowship of the Ring is in there. With its full $60 million production, which is, that's a lot for the first of a trilogy at that time. Like, Matrix wasn't getting that much money. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think that was... Yeah, and this was like a big boost for New Line because New Line, much like when they came out with Nightmare on Elm Street, was not doing great. And it was just kind of like they coasted off of the Lord of the Rings trilogy for quite a while. I think now they're kind of, you don't really see the New Line in front anymore. But uh, it is kind of crazy because when I think of New, like New Line, of course, one of the best production opening tags for sure right the like movie picture going through and all that yeah whenever you see a new line thing like that usually you're like i'm in for some shit for a movie like you're watching teenage mutant ninja turtles like you're gonna watch something a little crazy a little dark to have that in front of like a prestige fantasy movie was like kind of cool yeah i was wrong by the way matrix did have a 63 million dollar budget so they're pretty similar Mm -hmm. but also doing two very different things Talk about a movie that really used CGI or used advanced cameras. And they, they also had kind of like a short film, I think, that they were able to make that really showed off what they were going to do with The Matrix. Yeah, with like a $10 million budget or something. It was something crazy for like, yeah, a short, like five, ten minutes, which but got us a pretty amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so basically, though, Floor of the Rings took off from there. Peter Jackson got his way and... Um, he had this whole vision coming in, you know, where he read the books and finally was like, this is what I want to do. And I want to do it like to a T and yeah, now we have all this stuff based on it. So I guess what are some of the things that you feel like Fred are like, what makes this series memorable and what make it Lord of the Rings? Well, I, I think the product or product Hey, I'm pretty. I'm pretty against you know movies right now. The product. The product. Content. (laughs) The content. content. Yeah, we're making content here. I would say the property of Lord of the Rings and the movies really compares to me to the Harry Potter movies because they came out around the same time, even Mm -hmm. though they're kind of different, kind of the same in some ways. But I think they're both successful at one thing, and is. I feel like a lot of times I don't put on a Lord of the Rings or a Harry Potter movie to watch that movie. I do it to live in that world. And mm-hmm. I think the Lord of the Rings movies do that really effectively. Like uh, one of my big issues with the new Star Wars films, and I like stuff in them. I don't feel like I'm returning to the world all the time, yeah. you know. But I do feel like you can throw on the Lord of the Rings and you feel like you're in Middle Earth. Even if you're doing work on your computer while it's on the background. Like, yeah. I feel it's immersive. And I compare that again with the Harry Potter movies. And I feel I don't, not all franchises do that for me. Hunger Games isn't doing yeah. that for me. No, I think you're absolutely right, though. And I think it's just maybe the choice of even filming in New Zealand. And I had the pleasure of going to New Zealand. I've told this story already, you know, years ago. And you get to see just like how beautiful of a place it is in real life. And then you see it on screen and you're like, oh, yeah, like it's literally like one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Like it's so green. It's so fresh. It's just like it looks as clean and like as good as like Rivendell does or the mountaintops. Like when they're going over like the Mines of Moria. Right. Like you, it's like pre-colonial America is what I picture New Zealand. to look bit. like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just there are just these extravagant set pieces in it that 
really do look like a big world. Like there's people that live there. There's different, you know, kingdoms and it's just, it's a big thing and it feels big. You don't feel like you're just in like, I don't know. Like, like, I mean, if you're going back to the matrix, like you kind of feel like you're always just kind of in New York city. Right. Except for the third movie where you're weirdly in Zion, (laughs) (laughs) but it's never like, you don't ever really get the scope of what the world is in Lord of the Rings. You get the scope of like, okay, middle earth kind of lays out like this and like, yeah, they got to go a long way to get to (laughs) Mordor. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, I think something else that works for me is just, the Shire and Hobbiton is just such a lovely seeming place. I think everyone like my idea of like my perfect Sunday would be like, <laughs> you know, I think like a nice crisp fall day, no work. You're going to throw on Lord of the Rings and you're going to make a roast chicken mm. and you're going to make potatoes and you might have like some some wine with it and you're gonna like kind of eat as the hobbits do (laughs) like that's something that i definitely i definitely think the food in the movies really works for me yeah and i think combined like making an experience around lord of the rings is something that i tend to do like yeah especially with food oh absolutely i don't know why yeah the scene where sam is making potatoes in the two towers maybe because it's extremely quotable scene too (laughs) but just the, like, yeah, you get the idea that he's just making some dank soup, like, or whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I would love to just go to Bilbo's house and raid his pantry for tea cakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have, like, a weirdly, like, Irish thing to them, right? The hobbits? Mm-hmm, definitely. Just the way you were describing And maybe it's the potatoes, but, I don't know. Just, mm-hmm. how's that feel? Yeah, it's like uh, I saw the trailer for the Banshees of Urshine. Oh. Urshin. We'll see how to pronounce that when it comes out. Uh-huh. But uh, I feel like, yeah, totally. There's an Irish connection because that movie feels like kind of similar in that way. Yeah. Was it also from the New Zealand? Do we know? No, it's Irish problem. Okay. I would think he actually, he's he's an Irish guy. He's like, we're going to film there. Oh, Martin McDonough? Yeah. <laughs> you can hear it just in the way you say it. You can't say it without sounding somewhat Irish. But I definitely think these movies jumpstarted two big trends, which is kind of letting horror directors take the like big franchise movies. You saw yeah. like Scott Derrickson and the first Doctor Strange. And then it also just, by having the extended versions, I feel like that was kind of the forefront of like combining your deleted scenes and coming out with like a collector's edition. Right. Yeah. And certainly somebody took advantage of that. Steiner cut. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say something that I almost prefer to throw on over the actual movies are those behind the scenes documentaries about, because something that we haven't talked about was when they filmed these movies, they did it in like a three year chunk altogether. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the the fact that like that cast had to be there all together for the entire time and like these guys all seem very closely bonded like even well after that especially the hobbits i mean we see you know elijah wood and uh rudy <laughs> i was trying to think of his name from stranger things it's like a real like bob hey, bob yeah. I can think of like all of his characters right now. I can't <laughs> get uh, Sean Astin. Yes, who's Goonie? I don't Goonie, know. Yeah, yeah, Mikey, <laughs> Mikey, Mikey. 
man. Mm-hmm. All those guys are making a comeback. I mean, Brolin never left, but everybody mm-hmm. else. I would love some Brolin in a Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't know. He could just be an orc, honestly. <laughs> it would be better, though, if he was somebody very, like, interesting, like Saruman. Like, so you wanted to come here to ask for my help? <laughs> He's just doing proto-Thanos, says Saruman. <laughs> the ring has a certain weight when you feel it in your fingers. <laughs> Perfectly balanced. <laughs> like all things should be. <laughs> I'd like that. You know, um, you know what the kind of sad story with like the Aragorn thing that there was an actor who was gonna play Aragorn. He was there and they fired him. Yeah, Townsend. Yep, our guy from Queen of the Damned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was even thinking of that just as you were bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, so it's Stuart Townsend was cast as Aragorn. How much did they film with him? Do we know? I thought it was like enough to get dailies and they were like, nah, which I don't think I hear he's a guy who got big, like blew up real quick and then was an like kind of an ass, like hard to work with. Like he oh, like man. became shitty and he's a guy who I think could have been a compelling actor. Like he's he that that Queen of Dan movie is really bad, yeah. but I don't think he's horrible in it. Like he's doing the corny that is being required, yeah. and he actually had a he did the Night Stalker reboot, which was an old TV show, oh, Kolchak, yeah. and uh, it was pretty solid. I remember, but I mean, he's 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 no my guy though. Yeah, Vigo, man. Well, Vigo. I mean, I think we're kind of hitting on something here. The cast of the movie. On top of the movies being just these great set pieces, having this giant like world, and obviously they have a lot of text to pull from. Tolkien wrote all these languages, right? Like he wrote Elfish, he wrote Orcish. Did he do that? Am mm-hmm. I just making that up? Probably. Because <laughs> I know there's, it's kind of like uh, the Elvish thing in the different languages. It's sort of like the Klingon thing, right? Where like people actually study it. Yeah. Oh, the black speech, right? Also known as the dark tongue of Mordor, was the official language of Mordor. Yeah. See, that's why Tolkien can't be around anymore. He can't be calling it black speech like that. <laughs> I mean, at least in this regard, it's more on like like dark, like evil black. I know. Speech, I'm right? just being mean to a dead man. Yes, you should be. Why not? <laughs> All dead men deserve some. George Washington, you're next. <laughs> I hope he's. Spinning around in his grave next to Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I think there's definitely, though, something to be said for, you know, this world was built. It's, like, completely rich. It has all this history and backgrounds. And you can see all of it in the sets. And then you put very compelling actors in these roles, and it just all kind of comes together, right? Mm-hmm. And... You just kind of see from Viggo Mortensen, like on down, it's just like nobody's selling it short. Like they're all in. McKellen giving his all, even like Ian Holm, like you were talking about, who was, you know, which is a fun trivia if he was the voice of Frodo. That I can guarantee. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, the radio the radio dramas were kind of intense. I remember, like, that's my earliest memory of Sam taking on Shelob. Shelob? That's the big spider. Oh. And Shelob's lair. Shelob. Probably. <laughs> it's not Sheila. <laughs> I, clearly, I need to just keep up. Yeah, Shelob. Yeah. 
which I feel like I just kind of remember being in the car and listening to that and it being kind of spooky. Because I think that's the other thing that is going for these movies. There's definitely the first one and a little bit of two and three, but there's also some good horror moments that he gets in. Kind of just disturbing. Yeah. I feel that the Ralph Bakshi animated takes the cake as the most frightening version. Really? For sure. It's like just like the way they shoot the Dark Riders... A lot of the times, it's like he'll animate, but then he'll have live actors acting, and he'll animate over it just slightly so he doesn't have to fill the whole piece of animation. He's just kind of doing these weird outlinings, and when they walk, they kind of have this like, (laughs) and just like, see your face, you're a little freaked out, because they just have like that hood, and their hands are like mangling, they're they're feeling around, and they're like they're in pain from the ring. That's what I think is like what they're going for in it. Wow. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. It's interesting that you describe it that way too. Because uh, I pull from another franchise in Final Fantasy VII, there's something kind of a, a similar type of like afflicted group of people that um, are being impacted by another entity that is not called Sauron, but mm-hmm. it's called Genova. And it's like. But it has a similar impact. And I never thought about it that way that the Nazgul are kind of like that, where they are, I just kind of assume they were just corrupted to a T where it's like they don't really question their, like their existence. They just are like slaves to the ring. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Yeah. And I feel, I don't know what the issue, like how it was back then, but I feel there's also just a clear addiction metaphor for this. Like they're like addicts. Yeah. Um, I will say, I won't touch on the animation too much because we will have that episode, but I will say this about a put a pin in it, that uh, in the documentaries about the making of the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, he cites those movies and he lifts shots from the animated movie, like the part where they're under the tree and the wraith is like looking above them kind of feeling for them. Yeah. And he does the ring, like he's almost going to put on the ring. That's like straight lifted from the animated oh, version. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting thing to think about, though, that they would have all these influences. I mean, it seems like so much Lord of the Rings, I mean, we kind of talked about it came from Tolkien's experiences through war and through all of just his life experiences of just how much of influence came into what ended up the movies it became. It's just pulling from this animated version of it, and it's pulling from this horror background of Jackson it's pulling from these books that were, you know, 80 years old at that time. It's just like, maybe not 80. I'm sorry. It's more like seven or 60, <laughs> but it keeps going down the more I keep re-guessing. <laughs> but it's like, it's just so interesting of like what a cultural impact that it had at that point that it did have so many things to pull into this final live action thing. Like you don't really see, much like that outside of all these superhero movies now or shows where it's constantly pulling from the original text and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's constantly the Leo <laughs> point thing. Whereas, like, it's like in this one, it's like you really got to be kind of a Lord of the Rings geek to sort of pick up on some of the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's subtle nods, of course, but I always think it's accessible at all times, which is really nice. Yeah, for sure. It never feels like it's a story that's not for everybody, mm-hmm. even though it's a story that clearly has a very, like, long history back both in the real world and in the story itself 
I think just having the simplicity of like the ring is bad and it's got to go in the fire. Like, like <laughs> if you're lost in the movie, you'll uh, you'll you'll cut to them and like, oh, they're still heading towards the mountain. Good. Mm-hmm. I know that's progress. <laughs> you know, that is one thing though. I did want to like kind of touch on with the second and third movie because I do feel like the first movie is very straight on with that. And I think that's some of the best ways to tell that story is like you have kind of this MacGuffin of like, we need to get the ring to Mordor, drop it in the volcano. But then, as you kind of said, like the, the second and third movie do get a little bloated where suddenly everybody's off in their own different directions. Like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli are off doing kind of their thing, you know, fighting at Helm's Deep. Well, Sam and Frodo are the ones doing it. And you're almost kind of more like invested in the not ring story. And it sort of, it just becomes a very, I don't know. It's like, do you feel as invested in every piece of that or? I'm actually the opposite. I'm, I'm more interested in Sam, Frodo and Gollum than I am Aragorn stuff. After oh, really? he leaves. After he's not looking after he doesn't have the job of looking after Frodo anymore. Mm-hmm. I think Aragorn kind of becomes boring because he's just like into like two different ladies. He becomes a king. He gets a horrible makeover. Like <laughs> I just love that meme where it's like, how could you do this to a king? And it's like him from the first movie looking all hot with his long hair yeah. and his black cloak. And then it's him with the nice like hair and like the beard. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always so funny too. They were so willing to put him on the throne because he sealed Dirk sound like he kind of sucks. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> even though sure. he took down Sauron, but it's sort of like, you know, you kind of had a chance to end this all a long time ago, mm-hmm. and you're like, eh, I'm going to keep this thing. Yeah, he seems like a douche. I'll <laughs> definitely say that. He seems kind of like a frat guy to me, this Isildur. A sealed door. A sealed door. <laughs> no. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, this movie is very quotable. I mean, the whole, I'm talking about the whole movies all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're giving a lot more attention to the movies and the books, which obviously that's kind of our focus here, because I think that's a thing that most people know. For yeah. sure. You'd have to do a lot to get through some of the books. But I'll have to admit something to you. I have never finished the first or the second book. I forced myself to finish the third one just to know how it actually ended. <laughs> but even then, I got I was very tried at the end to, to get to the end, because I was like, I was halfway through the book. I was like, okay, so Frodo lost the ring, fell into the fire with Gollum. Why are there 150 pages left? <laughs> so it's like, what? is there more? Is that not it? And then you read on, and Sauron's gone. And then you find out about how Sam spent the rest of his life and how Frodo spent the rest of his life. <laughs> it's just, it is, it's a chore sometimes to give through some of that, you know? Definitely. I'm, I mean, we all had to go to the bathroom at the end of that one. I think we all remember, like, okay, we can, oh, damn it. Yeah. Oh, and there's Mary and Pippin there in uh, Okay, well, we're still mm-hmm. going. All right. Um okay, now they're they're bowing to Frodo. Great. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> we're back in the Shire. All right. We'll fade out. Oh, okay. Well, boy. Right. <laughs> so, did you know who did you recognize Elijah Wood and um Sam <laughs> Rudy why can't we think <laughs> Sean, of Sean Aston? did you like know them before going yeah, into the movie definitely I think that was my first exposure for sure because I didn't to see Goonies till I was older wow 
Yeah, and then I remember seeing The Faculty later, which oh. is um, Elijah Woods in that, and it was like, whoa, Frodo's yeah. in like a normal movie? <laughs> and then later, I finally saw The Good Son, which I like that movie. It's a weird movie. I've never but seen like it. it. Come on, you got Elijah Wood and evil Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I knew Elijah Wood because of North, which got like a famously like vicious Roger Ebert. That's review. the Reiner movie. Yeah, I've never seen it. But yeah, like Roger Ebert basically like starts this review. He's like, I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. That was like what ended Reiner's like miracle run of movies, like uh, Stand by Me, Misery, yep. and some more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Princess Bride. Yeah. Like, yeah. He was just hitting out of the park, and then yeah, I heard that movie. Like people were like, ah, no, 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 yeah. It's a very, I don't even know how you describe it. It felt like it almost tried to take the vibe of like the Princess Bride and put it into like the real world. And it just didn't work. You have like uh, Jason Alexander and Julia Louise Dreyfus like as a husband and wife, like Elijah Wood's parents. And you're like, how did you miss on this? But (laughs) that's just a terrible casting idea. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't look like they'd be their kid, right? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, you can't have George and Elaine as a couple. <laughs> like, everyone's going to be like, this feels like a weird Seinfeld thing. Yeah, but I think Elijah Wood's not as, like, cynical as they are, though, too, right? No. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, personality-wise, he it doesn't look like that'd be his parents. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they've never, like, looked at something with awe in their, like, life. Right. And that's how Elijah Wood looks at all times. Right. Yeah, like, he's constantly, like, being surprised by something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think when you look at this movie, though, you really can't imagine anybody else being Frodo or Sam or anybody, really. And it's just so funny. They're big movies and no one talks about how they're doing, like, not bad, but really, like, basic faux British accents. Like, yeah. everyone's just doing this. Unless they're the actual English actors, but like I feel the American actors are definitely just kind of like doing the thing where they sound like this. Right, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> it is just funny that he like cast like 80s kid actors, American 80s kids actors, and then they're like the stars of this like kind of like I would say more European fantasy. Yeah, it was like the men's yellow jackets. Of like- <laughs> <laughs> That's um, but it, it worked. It all worked. I, I do think though, as we we're kind of talking about the second and the third movies, I, I mean, they're a delight. I think when you look at everything all together, the story is wonderful, and even the stuff that doesn't get as related to like the One Ring or anything, you're still invested. Like when they get surrounded in Mordor, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be it. Like they're going down now, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like, oh, armies back off, and that's it. But. I think when you look at some of the opportunities you could have done, maybe in our coulda, woulda, shoulda segment, think about some things that maybe you could have done differently, whether it is different ways to make the movie, and they did the animated movie, but was that, you know, this Beatles version would have been a hell of a movie to see. Yeah, I would say I wish we would have gotten a proto-earlier version, like a 70s, like the Borman or the Kubrick one. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, of course, yes, we want the Kubrick Beatles one. Yes, that's what we want. But, like, I feel in a more, like, a world that makes sense, it probably would have been the Scalibur guy who got it. Right. And I think that would have been a very cool movie. That I think that's probably my biggest coulda, woulda, shoulda, because... 
I don't know what they could have done to make the second and third one more streamlined because that's just not that's just not the books, baby. <laughs> and I think you know, and we're, we're giving them a little grief. I don't think they're either of them are bad movies. No, Return of the King is an Oscar winner for a reason. I think, but it's more of a that's a cumulative Oscar, though. Right, it's for the whole story, and but it deserved it. It was an incredible production, like one that will never be touched again. And it was, you know, it was greatly directed, perfectly cast, beautifully shot. You know, every and all the practical effects are going to keep aging like just fine. Like, because look at how bad the prequels for Star Wars stage now. This CGI looks terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite things to like point out, even though it kind of shows kind of a peek behind the curtain, but a shot that just shows the kind of stuff they're doing is when they take the Buckleberry Ferry to the inn in the beginning of the first one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Frodo's looking up at the guy who's working the bar. Mm hmm. There's a patron that comes by, and his, he, you know, he, w Frodo is waist high to this patron. The patron is crossing in front of the camera. If you're watching, it's big, like fake hands. Oh, wow. And you only notice if you're looking for it. Uh -huh. And, like, and just that, that's how they did a lot of that stuff. Like, um, when, uh, Frodo and Gandalf are in the cart when they're riding to Hobbiton, it's just like that trick perspective of putting Frodo further back and making the cart two different sizes and combining the shots. I just, yeah, like you said, that will age really well, but I think that one scene in the inn, if you watch that, you just can kind of see the seams, but you respect the seams. Yeah, kind of. right. Well, you just accept it for what it is because it's just hearing it flash and gone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, something else that would be kind of fun, we were talking about this Beatles version of the Kubrick, you know, that he could have made this. But I always thought, like, Monty Python would have been a really fun way to make this movie, too. And you would have just done it all in one shot and, like, in the most different way possible. Like, you think about Holy Grail, right? And, like, what a romp that is and just how unserious it tells, like, a very long, rich history of King Arthur. But it doesn't give a shit about following the details. It does, it's there for the jokes. And, like... That feels like that's the alternate version of Lord of the Rings that we didn't get. It's just you're you're talking like a one off, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Monty Python the Lord of the Rings, Monty Python Life of Brian kind of deal. Yeah, I like that. Like it almost would be like like the ending of that would basically be just like yeah, John Cleese is like Gollum or something like that, or Eric Idle, and he just trips and falls into the volcano. You know, like <laughs> it's just some, some some shit like that. Well, then a giant foot would come down and smash the whole scene, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just the love for Monty Python. Do you do you have is that like your favorite of the movies? Do you think Holy Grail? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. I have a weird relationship with Monty Python. It kind of feels timely to talk about it because it was sort of like same time. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like I don't know Life of Brian. Like I always heard all the all the years. Like oh, this is like can't see this it's like band movie and it finally makes its way on netflix and i'm like whoa like okay all my life nobody will distribute this or put this on and i watched it and i felt like because so many other properties took shots at like the catholic church and everything that it just sort of felt like eh. i feel like i missed i missed when it would have been really that shocking or revelationary it's like south park did that and then like you know like spit on it pissed on it added better songs Right, mm -hmm. and it's just like, okay. <laughs> I'm, but I am a Life of Brian boy. That's probably my you like favorite. That? I like it. I like it more as a movie, but I think Holy Grail is way funnier. Yeah. Oh, I would agree mm -hmm. with that. I mean, 
I think it's the funnier movie. I don't know. I just like it all mm-hmm. together. Yeah, I like. I, have you, if you watch like a lot of those, like, and now for something completely different, and some of those, I do like their sketches a lot. Me too, I, yeah. I think the sketch show is maybe my second only to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something to their humor that really would have worked with something that's kind of like, I don't know, so deeply fantasy like Lord of the Rings, and maybe because we saw what they did with King Arthur's like for the holy grail and it's like oh yeah okay this could work about like uh like a led zeppelin broadway musical or the rings oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i never considered that but that'd be outstanding mm-hmm. and this isn't a coulda woulda shoulda and it could even be a whole entire episode you did bring this up before Great video games the mm-hmm. two towers and the return of the king game especially the two towers game yeah i loved it I did too. I actually really enjoyed playing that. Probably the best movie games, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm talking like license, like the character the actors are on the screen, like like full on like yeah. that. Ah oh, man. I think it might be on to something, yeah. I can't think of anything that would be I'm going through like all the movies in my head. There's a ton of terrible movie adapted games. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, you watch like YouTube videos of people who review video games. They're always doing movie games because they're so bad. But mm-hmm. yeah, Lord of the Rings doesn't show up on there. Oh, that Spider-Man 2 game was pretty good too. I never played Spider-Man 2. Everyone talks about Spider-Man 2. I had the first one. It was revolutionary for the time. Now the PS4 version is like the quintessential. <laughs> but like nothing touches that. But it's, for sure. It's, uh, it was good for the time. It was just fun because it caught the mechanics like how it should have been. But yeah, I think the games are good. I've heard Shadow of Mordor is good. Uh, yeah. Some people really front for that game amongst like is like one of the best they've played. You're talking about the sequ- the sequel of the two because there was two of them. Was Shadow of the Mordor the first one? Uh, maybe, and it might have just been a totally like yeah separate thing. Yeah, because I remember the yeah I loved the first one, and then the second one seemed like it was just like more of the same. I remember, but the first one was really fun. Okay, maybe that was it then. But yeah, I mean, I think the games were great, and I think it's. It's almost inevitable we're going to get more games at some point. Yeah, we have one that's like a uh, multiplayer Minds of Moria, like kind of like I think every like you got four people and you were in there and you're hacking and slashing mm-hmm. and it's like an online experience. Yeah. Pretty sure that's the vibe, kind of like an exploring the mines and such. Yeah. I mean, there's so much out there, too. I the know. Gollum game is coming out. That's right. I did hear about that. That's going to be interesting just mm-hmm. to kind of see his perspective on everything and like what he's doing. I mean, I think we do have to kind of get into with, with games though too and more that they could do now. Cause like you could theoretically do like, yeah, like MMOs. And I think they have like a Lord of the Rings MMO, but like people play like their own like Dungeons and Dragons versions of that. The hard thing about doing a coulda, woulda, shoulda with a franchise like Lord of the Rings is a lot of people started doing this stuff on their own because they were such mega fans. <laughs> right. It's like you have these like cheaply made movies or you have like, you know, this first iteration, this animated version, right, that they started basing scenes off of. Like I have like people that I know who like met playing kind of like a online MMO that wasn't like world of warcraft it was literally just kind of like you play as a character and then you kind of just make up this world it's almost like second life you ever play second life no i've just seen the office episode (laughs) 
I've been rewatching The Office, and I just watched that episode last night. Oh my gosh! So it's like that, but like with Lord of the Rings, and it's like, so you you try and think of something new. I mean, the only thing you can really do is that, yeah, like alternate versions of what we already have, right? Like, mm-hmm. what what else would you do though if you could even do something further than what we've seen already? I think like um, a Hobbiton tycoon, like you just build your own <laughs> Hobbiton, you have a fireworks, you know, party, you have a, a birthday party. <laughs> you have to figure out how many poop ditches you have to install in the surrounding area. <laughs> My God, I could, I could totally see it too. I'd love it. <laughs> I think one thing that I was just kind of thinking about though too is trying to do like another version of Lord of the Rings that maybe is just like an animated show. Kind of like um, that Star Wars thing. Yeah, kind of like Clone Wars is what I was thinking of. Oh, I was thinking like um, the anime thing that Star Wars did. Oh, yeah. That's what I would like to see. And you know I'm not like I'm a very particular if I'm going to watch an anime, I'm going to like I'm really like it. Yeah. I would love to see what they did with Star Wars but with Lord of the Rings like 10 animated shorts that were animes. That would actually be really fun. I could get I'll, I could get really on board with that. Because I think one thing that, you know, we were talking about uh, Rings of Power before, and now you have a show like that that's getting into, like, this history and this era that we only kind of have sort of, like, a, a documentation of, like, what the events were, but we don't really know who the characters were, like, how some things came together. It's sort of like what's happening with House of the Dragon, too. It's it's funny that they're both happening simultaneously because it's sort of like, hey, here's all this stuff that happened way before all the characters mm-hmm. in the story that you know. But it it really opens the world up in Rings of Power to be like, this is thousands of years ago. Like We can really do anything else and like totally make up a whole other like society that's just gone in the third age, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think you could explore more stuff like that in a show like that. You could also just do, yeah, like like I was kind of saying, like an animated version of just like the actual Lord of the Rings retelling. Not that they didn't film everything already in the movies. but <laughs> oh, well, I'd like it to get into the hands of, of uh, GDT because he was originally slated to do The Hobbit. And oh, I've been so good. That would have been the version I wanted. We could do a whole episode on Guillermo del Toro projects that did not come to fruition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's the Mountains of Madness. Uh, well, he's getting his Pinocchio movie coming out on Netflix, which I'm excited to watch after watching the dog shit Zemeckis oh, version. Man. There's like nothing in that movie to really? watch. Yeah, there's I, nothing good. I was like, maybe I'll watch that when I got time. But right now, I don't feel very much urged to do it at all. No, you know from minute one this is bad. <laughs> like oh, that's God. what I said to Ashley after because it's like Jimmy Cricket and it's Joseph Gordon Levitt, <laughs> and I was just like, uh, "This is bad." And you know, Paul of Tompkins read for it. Oh wow, really? Mm-hmm. For Jiminy Cricket? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. But uh, I'm excited to see the GDT Pinocchio, and I would love him to do like, oh, he's doing a Lord of the Rings Netflix six episode show, and it's just kind of I don't know him working with some animators making some interesting. Yeah, kind of like how the hobbits, what they do when uh, everybody's gone. <laughs> like, pretend like nothing's going on in the world. Hey, did you uh, bring in today's crop? Ooh, a lot of smoke overhead, huh? <laughs> it's kind of like living in northern Wisconsin. Like, <laughs> you're hearing about like 
all the the stuff going on in Milwaukee. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Some, <laughs> sounds like they got a ruckus going on down there. Hey, uh, bring in uh, bring in the goat. <laughs> 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 or like a whole movie around that glary guy in Hobbiton. You know, the guy where he's glaring at Gandalf. Oh. And then he sets off the fireworks and he's laughing, but then he's just, was, oh no, his wife is behind him glaring and he looks at her and she's glaring. He's like, <laughs> I better glare too. And he puts on that real stink face at him. <laughs> I just see now that you were talking about your like episodic or anthology show i want to see like all the random characters from lord of the rings that we don't get to spend time with mm-hmm. what's worm like like in just like an off day <laughs> oh they get if they get duraf back to do like an episode centric on worm tongue i'd love yeah. that listen my lord <laughs> <laughs> he like was the prototype for like every shitty character on game of thrones and i mean shitty not like bad i mean like shitty like conniving like sneaky mm-hmm. But they never were brave enough to make him as greasy or wet looking as Brad Dourif does in those. Right. No, he looks like, yeah, like he looks like a parasite. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. So anything else you want to share on Lord of the Rings here, Fred? I mean, I know we could probably go for a long time. Yeah, let's let's get into our uh, power rankings. All right. So the power rankings this week are top three characters. Speaking of... (laughs) Would you like to have the honors of going first? I will. Um, I'm going to start with, like, I feel everyone, this was their favorite movie character, but I feel like most people it probably goes away as you get older. It was definitely Legolas at the time. Yeah. I was like, this dude is murking people. He had, like, <laughs> the best action scenes. But then you rewatch, and you're like, okay, he's there. It's. I think now it's definitely Vigo and Aragorn is oh, my number yeah, one yeah. guy. And then it's going to be Sam and then Mary and Pippin count as one. Those are my three. <laughs> Dang it. You took my idea of Mary and Pippin counting together. <laughs> I'll go uh, number three, though. I'm going to go opposite you. I'm going to go, go Gimli. Ooh, I'm Gimli, about, Gimli ages well. Like, Yeah. I just love uh, John Reese. Is he Myers? I'm like. John Reese Davies. John Reese Davies. That's this one. And I just loved him from Indiana Jones. And mm-hmm. when I found out he was Gimli, I was like, yes. <laughs> like, And he's just so extra is Gimli. And he's a dude who's like above. He's like six foot something. He's yeah. a big guy. Big dude playing this little dwarf. And I just even watching. Okay, I keep talking about Rings of Power. but it's, it's a fun show. I really think you should watch it. Anybody, I'm ready to. Anybody listening should check it out if you're even like halfway interested in Lord of the Rings. But. Um, it's always so funny with the force, force perspective and seeing them make large men just look like dwarves and just these lo- tiny people. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how that all looks in a even like 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. 20 exactly, right? Yeah. And it it it's not even like I don't know that they're doing any force perspective in the show. But it just still looks like mm-hmm. like it's not distracting at all. It doesn't look like they're like reanimated to be smaller. Like you you know what I mean? Like in Ant Man, you kinda get that sense of like when he's like smaller than he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even Did, like halfway between and uh what is it, Ant Man too. Oh, that's I love that scene, but it does they yeah, have the effect definitely looks strange when he's like small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This doesn't have that issue. I don't know what they did, but I I, I just I just kinda take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Number two though. I'll probably have to go with uh, with Gandalf. Ooh, yeah. Just because he's a G. 
G A N D A L F. Yeah. <laughs> I I think he was the reason I think I ended up really loving that movie was especially being a big X-Men fan coming off seeing Ian McKellen. You can tell I was very into the cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the future Charles, not them. <laughs> That's also like the one I can't do an Ian McKellen impression, but I can say that one line just like Ian McKellen. I think. <laughs> Why do you always ask the questions? Surely know the answers to. That was good. That was good. <laughs> That's like my favorite line, but coming off of X-Men where he plays just Magneto to a T and then you get him as Gandalf playing a totally different character and he just had so much like bravado and like you follow Gandalf for so long in the beginning of Fellowship. Mm-hmm. It's like I never I don't know. I never thought he was quite as good when he came back as Gandalf the White. Nah. I still don't really get even in the story, like what happened. So he like resurrected. Is that, was that the whole thing? Yeah. He like, he does. I think by the act in which defeating the Belrog, uh, kind of like he like plussed up. Okay. Like in a video game. I mean, so I think, he like leveled up. He's immortal now. Yeah. Right? Gandalf the white. Yeah. But it's all about Gandalf the gray. Yeah. I agree. Like there's just like an edge to him when he's Gandalf the gray. Like he's almost kind of like, he's still kind of got that, that old kook kind of to him <laughs> that like it's like coot coot that's <laughs> kook yeah he's a good kook <laughs> but like he has that like that energy of like merlin from sword in the stone mm-hmm, definitely yeah and then he just kind of comes back and you're just like oh he's kind of like boring old grandpa now he feels more dumbledore when he comes back as like mm-hmm. gandalf the white here's here's something that uh, i've been workshopping for the episode All with right. uh Good friend of mine, Isaac, who wish we wish could be here today. Yes, um, James Gandolfini. <laughs> you shall not pass the gabagool. <laughs> I'm still here, everyone. I'm just like rubbing my temples and trying not to <laughs> <laughs> not get my microphone. This is a mess, <laughs> Gandolfini. <laughs> good it's a good one it's good i'll give it to you uh number one no surprise mary pippin why not right Hell yeah you just should have had a breakfast what about second breakfast <laughs> i think is that the most quotable line of the whole movie like i just love everyone loves saying second breakfast right it's just so good <laughs> about afternoon tea <laughs> elevensies luncheon <laughs> i love the idea of just, and I know from the behind the scenes that Vigo was actually throwing the apples at him when, <laughs> <laughs> when he's like looking for more. And I just love this idea of like Peter Jackson just be like, yeah, yeah, toss it at him. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know Vigo's into that shit. That's the way that he loves every movie he's in. Mm-hmm. And way too much that he loved Green Book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but man, he eats that pizza like nobody's business in that no. movie. <laughs> He never shorts it in any no. movie. He's all the way in. When he's fighting completely naked in Eastern Promises. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he doesn't give a shit. Now, now you're talking my Cronenberg. I like my crime Cronenberg. Yeah. My history of violence in my... Oh, that's a good movie, too. Mm-hmm. I did like that a lot. The Big Hurt, R.I.P. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Too bad. Just an Oscar winning performance, and he's in it for like five minutes or yep. something like that. That's how you do it. I don't even remember that he was in that movie. That's how long it's been since mm-hmm. I've seen it. He literally comes in for like a one scene, and he got. I'm pretty sure he won the Oscar. Oh my god, that that does track though, because they're probably like, we got to get her to an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Although, didn't he have one at that point, or no? Maybe for the the spider, the Jade Spider Woman, or whatever uh, older I movie. Know. I gotta look. Not Altered States. Have you ever seen Altered States? No. He starts doing like ayahuasca pretty much, and he's like a scientist, and he starts turning into a proto-human caveman. It's like a horror psychedelic movie. Mm. It's good. He did not win, though, for History of Violence. Nominated, right? Nominated. But he did win for Kiss of the Spider Woman. I knew he won for something with kissing a spider. (laughs) Best leading actor. Yeah, you Mm. had it. You had it. So... That unfortunately brings us to the end of our episode here today. I was very afraid we were going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think we have a lot of follow-ups planned. I mean, we've talked a lot about a couple of different big franchises that there's just too much to eat in one episode, you know? You need at least a second breakfast to eat. You need a second breakfast is exactly right. So we will definitely be revisiting Lord of the Rings and we will talk to you later. But that's not the end of the episode. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> we have our plug segment. Fred, anything that you would like to plug this week? I'm out there, you know. I'm living <laughs> life, you know. I don't have anything in the books, but I'm, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm in the middle of a move. Once I get moved, I'm sure I'm going to have stuff on the docket. Yeah. Come see me at the interchange or, you know, just, just listen to old episodes of the podcast, you know. They're not just one listens, you know. You can really, they're like movies, you know. You listen to it two, three times. You really catch stuff you didn't hear the first time. It's true, especially if you go back to, like, that Batman episode. There's a lot in there that mm-hmm. I think y'all would be very... Very happy to revisit. Um, And yeah, definitely make sure to check back, listen on the episodes that you haven't listened to yet, because there's some good stuff in there too. But yep, we'll be sure to give more on Fred in the near future. For us at State of the Franchise, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate wherever you're listening to us out there. Also, we have still some... uh, some email collection we're looking for right now at state of the franchise podcast at gmail.com. Send us those emails. We want your Halloween. What are we looking for, Fred? Scary stories? Scary stories, moments of fear. We Ooh. want uh, any paranormal experiences, or also we want to hear what you think of the selection of great horror that has come out this year. Yes. Even just like right up, if you saw the black phone, tell us what you thought. If you saw X, tell us what you thought. What are some other horror movies that came out this year? Well, I mean, Barbarians in theaters, at least right now as we're speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, we did also have Pearl, which is the prequel to X. Oh, yes. Saw Pearl. Beautiful looking film. Great acting. Yeah. That's all I got to say about it. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say about it. Um, Scream came out this year. It was great. Scream came out. We're going to have Halloween Ends coming up here, too. Which I hope is... I hope is interesting. That's all I want from yeah. it. I mean, I'll go beyond even horror, though, Fred, and I'll say, in general, the movies this year have been very impressive. Clearly, post-pandemic, studios are willing to release a lot of movies, and I've seen a lot of great stuff so far this year. I'm excited to really talk 
when we end up doing another movie breakdown episode, probably sometime in February, March, for <laughs> a, a certain event that's going to be on that. But we don't like to tip our hands too much. But uh, yeah, so please send us your scary stories, fictional or real. Fictional or real. And then, yeah, what uh, thoughts on the movies coming out this year that are horror related? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, as usual, if you would like to donate or you'd like to subscribe to our uh, Buy Me a Coffee page, that's buymeacoffee.com slash SOTF. Any amount is accepted. But really, we are just more than happy that you are listening to this podcast. Please tell your friends. That's the best donation you could give us, everyone. Yeah, we appreciate the ear ganders. Yeah, that's that's all we're after here. We're having fun. We hope you're having fun, too. And stay tuned for next time where we'll be talking about... Jurassic Park. <laughs> Fred and I got some hot takes. We'll be sharing that. <laughs> we will see you then. But that's not the end of the episode. <laughs> Fool of a dick. <laughs> 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 <laughs>